So we're carrying on in our study here and looking once again at the verses that we just read over and looking specifically today at verses 11 and 12, which I'll read to you in just a moment. We're looking here at all that God has done for us in Christ. In Christ is one of Paul's favorite themes, and it's certainly a strong theme here in Ephesians. And so here in verse 11, he says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. So in him, in Christ, over and over again, Paul uses this phrase. So what does he mean? What is he talking about when he refers to us as being in Christ? Well, this is one of the ways that the apostle uses to describe what's happened to those who believe in Jesus. We have believed in him. We put our faith in him. And as a result of that, God has placed us in Christ. So we're no longer in our natural condition and our connection to uh, Adam, but now we are in a new place. We are now in Christ. Uh, It's similar to Noah. Noah and his family, God placed them in the ark. And in the ark, they were protected. They were in the the center of God's will, and they were guarded from the judgment that came. And so in, in that kind of a sense, we are in Christ as well. Or think of the, the children of Israel. Uh, they went into their houses, and they were under the blood of the Passover lamb. And as a result of that, they were spared from the judgment that came upon the land. So it, just as they were in their houses under that blood, and uh, in the will of God and protected from judgment, those are the things that are being communicated to us when Paul uses this uh, phrase in Christ. And so it's in this way that we are in Christ. You see, there are only two possibilities. There's only two categories when it comes to mankind, When God looks at humanity at large, he sees us in one of two places. We are either in Adam or we are in Christ. Now, we are in Adam by nature. We're we're connected to Adam. He is, uh, of course, the original human being, him and Eve, and everybody else has descended from them. But what we've inherited from them because of their revolt against God, because of their sin, we've inherited sin. And so if you're in Adam, then there's sin, there's the curse, and there's death. But in Christ, everything changes. And so in Christ, we're blessed. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And that would stand to reason because Christ is the blessed one. 
So if Jesus is the blessed one, the Bible refers to him that, uh, like that in um, different places, he, he's the blessed one, then those who are in him are then automatically blessed as well. Uh, the Bible refers to him as the Holy One. He is the Holy One of Israel. And so then it stands to reason that those who are in him are likewise holy. You see, we're not naturally blessed in and of ourselves. We certainly are not naturally holy, but God takes us and he puts us in Christ. And so there we are. We're blessed in him. We're, we're now holy because of him. Paul told us that we are accepted in Christ. God sees us in Christ, and so we have perfect acceptance, complete acceptance. We've talked about this already. Uh, In Christ, we saw that we have wisdom and insight into God's plan for the ages. We know the future. God's let us in on his secret, that he's going to ultimately bring everything under the immediate authority of Christ. And now here in this 11th verse, Paul tells us, that in Christ we have obtained an inheritance. We have obtained an inheritance. What is that all about? What does that mean? Well, there are at least three things. Number one, Christ is the heir of everything. I love that passage in Hebrews chapter one, the first few verses of Hebrews chapter one. It says, At various times and in different ways, God spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Everything that there is has been bequeathed to Jesus Christ by God the Father. Everything there is. The world and everything in it. Remember that scripture from, it's probably the Psalms. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's true. The earth belongs to the Lord. The earth belongs to Jesus. God gave it to him. And not just the earth, God gave him the entire cosmos. He gave him everything that there is. So he has been appointed by the Father as the heir of all things. And now listen, here's where it gets totally amazing. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So just as God has given everything to Jesus, Jesus has shared all of that with us. All of the riches, all of the wealth of everything that there is belongs to us. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. This is stuff that kind of just you know, if you really get a hold of it, it's the kind of stuff that, that just really would blow our minds. I mean, think of what people spend their lives doing. Think of the history of the world. The history of the world is all about people trying to obtain things, trying to get uh, possessions, trying to uh, get uh, real estate. Individual people, nations, wars are, are fought over these kinds of things, treasure and riches and, uh, you know, but here's the wonderful truth. God has given all of that to us as an inheritance. Now, we presently are the heirs of it, but there's coming a time when we're going to enter fully into 
all that that entails, just as it is in, in uh, cases that, that we would think of on the human level. You know, somebody is, is the heir of a certain great man, a certain uh, wealthy person, and they're the heir. Everything legally belongs to them, but there's a, a specific time when they enter into it. And that's the case with us as well. We are currently heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, but we haven't yet entered into the full experience of it, but we're going to. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, the world and everything in it. God has given that to us. So Paul says that we've obtained an inheritance. All things belong to us. But secondly, there is the obtaining, this is something in the future as well, the obtaining of the glory of Jesus Christ. Now this is, again, this, this is the kind of stuff that it's, it's incomprehensible in many ways. We need nothing less than the Holy Spirit to illuminate us when it comes to the magnitude of these truths. They're, they're just beyond us. The obtaining of the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus said in John chapter 17, he was praying to his father. That's the, the high priestly prayer it's commonly called. And maybe you remember, Jesus said there, and he, in his prayer, he said, Father, so the time had come for him to, you know, he glorified the father. He was going to the cross. He was gonna give his life. Of course, he was gonna rise again and then eventually ascend to heaven. But he said, Father, uh, glorify me now with the glory that I had with you before the world was ever made. So the former glory that Jesus had with the Father there in, in heaven, eternally with him, Jesus said, Father, glorify me once again with that. Jesus temporarily set aside that glory to come to earth to suffer and die as the sacrifice for sin. But as he's going back to the Father, he says, now, Father, glorify me. And then he said another thing. He said, and these that you've given me, these followers of mine, he said, Father, this is my desire, that they would be with me to see my glory that I had with you before the world was, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So Jesus there prays that we would be there to see his glory, but then Paul tells us in Thessalonians that we've been called to the obtaining of the glory of Jesus Christ. So in other words, what Jesus is going to do unimaginably, not only are we inheriting everything in him, we're gonna share in his glory. Now, what what does it mean, his glory? Well, his glory is just a, a way of describing his grandeur, his greatness, we're somehow going to share in that. What is that going to be like? We don't know. We can't even conceive of it. It's beyond us. It's greater than anything we could ever possibly imagine. But you see, as God's children, occasionally he gives us little glimpses, little taste of what this is going to be like. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to do that for us, to to bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, that we are the heirs of God and join heirs with Christ, that we are going to obtain that glory. But there's coming a time when we are going to enter into all of the fullness of this. 
You see, these truths are to remind us that this life is not the end. And this is not the most important thing. Because our tendency is to get focused on the present when God is wanting to keep us looking to the future because that's when all of this is coming. We, we so easily get uh, bogged down in this present situation, don't we? Now, this is, um, you know, it, it is a present reality, but it's a temporary situation. There's a greater reality, and it's greater because it's eternal. It's permanent. So God is wanting us to get our eyes fixed on what's permanent. He's wanting us to get our eyes fixed on what's eternal. He, he's wanting us to realize that, look, there's no need to strive here in this world to attain the, the things that men deem as important because God would say, look, I'm going to give it all to you in the end anyway. So you see, we can freely go about the business of the kingdom of God and not worry so much about the business of getting ahead in this life. And, and I say not worry about it in the sense that we're, we're putting that before God or we're striving for that or we're, you know, we're trying to impress somebody or, or our whole identity is wrapped up in being um, you know, wealthy or powerful or something like that. These are the things that strangle a person spiritually. But God calls us to let go of these things because he says, you, you're inheriting all of this. We have this inheritance in Christ, the obtaining of the glory of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, the greatest thing about our inheritance is that we, the Lord himself is our inheritance. Now, again, this is something that's it's difficult for us to get a hold of. But, the, but the, it's just the Lord himself. You know, the children of Israel, they were given this land, the promised land, right? And the tribes were given various portions of the land. And so Judah had its portion and uh, Simeon had its portion and all, all the way through Dan and Gad and Naphtali and all, they, they all had their portion. But the Levites from whom the priests came the Levites were given no portion in the land. They were given no inheritance in the land. And the Lord said this, because I am their inheritance. The Levites got the better deal. They had the Lord. And you know, the truth is this. If you've got the Lord, you've got everything. You've got the better deal. You know, sometimes we, we feel sorry for people who are uh, less fortunate uh, than we are when it comes to material prosperity and things like that. And obviously there's a, there's a place for that sometimes where compassion is needed and so forth. But, you know, the reality is a person who has Christ, but maybe has nothing uh, by way of, of material possessions is far better off and much richer than the person who has everything that the world has to offer because that, that's temporary. It, it's fleeting. It's all going to pass. It's all going. You can't take it with you. Once you're dead, it's gone. It's over. But in Christ, no, we have this inheritance. The Lord himself becomes our inheritance. And, 
you know, the scriptures, they, they keep pointing us to just how the Lord himself, even when it comes to the, the heavenly city that's described in Revelation 21 and 22, and if you've read that, you know that it's a wonderful picture. There, there are gates that are fashioned from pearls, a single pearl for each of the gates, the 12 gates. And they're the foundation stones of the city, these precious gems. And the streets, of course, are paved with gold. You know, all of these things that we would just stand in awe of. And we're, I think, intended to stand in awe of it as we read the description. But that's not the most important part of it. Most important part of it. The most important part of it is, is it goes on to say, and the throne of God and the Lamb shall be there. And remember that one point where it says, and there is no sun. There's no need for the sun, for the Lord God and the Lamb are the light thereof. So you see, the ultimate inheritance is the Lord himself. It's the Lord. This is, this is what we were created for. We were created to live in deep communion with God, and that's where we're going to be someday. We're going to be there in his presence. He will be our inheritance. And as wonderful as the cosmos is, as wonderful as the, all of the created order is, as great as that might be, it will pale in comparison to him. You know, you think of that passage where David said, it is better um, one day in your courts is better than a thousand days somewhere else. And the somewhere else is a good place. But just to be in the presence of the Lord, it's better. The Lord is our inheritance. So when Paul says that in him we have obtained an inheritance, it is that the, um, the fact that we're inheriting all things that God has created we're going to obtain uh, to the glory of Christ and the Lord himself will be our inheritance. Now, here's a twist on this verse. The twist is some commentators and Greek scholars believe that the inheritance here isn't actually talking about our inheritance, but it's talking about the Lord's inheritance. And the text, uh, the Greek text is difficult to translate but it doesn't really matter because the truth is it goes both ways because the Bible tells us in several places, and it's obvious, right, that in Christ we've obtained an inheritance, but the Bible also says that we, amazingly, are the Lord's inheritance. Now, that's the one that's more difficult to comprehend. Now, I can think of, you know, being an heir of Christ as something that is absolutely it is just amazing beyond description. But then you think that God looks at us and he feels the same way about us. What we look, when we look at these eternal things and we are overwhelmed with gratitude and joy for that, God looks at us and he's overwhelmed with joy. That's the hard thing to figure out. How could that be? But, but the point in it and, and one of the reasons why I think that that's certainly a possibility with a translation here is because when we move into verse 15 and we go into Paul's prayer, one of the things he's praying for is that we would know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Paul says it there clearly. 
that we are God's inheritance. Can you believe that? So you think of somebody who is an heir to a great fortune or something like that. You think, wow, that's amazing. And then you hear of somebody, well, yeah, you know, my, my uncle passed away and left me, you know, $150. Oh, it's too bad. Well, that's how it is with us. From our side, we're the, we're the heirs of a great fortune. From God's side, it seems like, well, they left him a couple bucks. But you know what? He's perfectly fine with it. He is overjoyed with it. And what we've been talking about here as we've been going through this passage and as we've been making our way slowly through it and what the Spirit of God has, I think, clearly been wanting to remind us of is how precious we are to God, how valuable we are to him, that we are an inheritance to him, that he loves us more than we could ever imagine, that, that his delight is in us, that his eye is upon us. As God said regarding Israel, they are the apple of my eye. And, and it's interesting here because as we pick up in verse 11, I want you to also notice, and especially in verse 12, Paul makes it clear that he's, he's talking to two different groups of people who have become one. He says, we who first believed, he's talking about Jews. And then he says, and you also believed, he's talking about the Gentiles. And what he's saying, because all through the Old Testament, God made it clear that Israel was his portion. They were his inheritance. Paul is saying, just as Israel was God's inheritance, you're now part of that. And God sees you as his portion. You Gentiles, you have been brought in. And that's true of us collectively as a church. But you know, it's true for you as an individual person today. God loves you. And his eye is upon you. And his eye is upon you for good. And his thoughts toward you are good thoughts. Remember those things that the Lord said? I know the thoughts that I have toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. We're told in other places that God's thoughts toward us are more in number than the sand. And here's the amazing thing. They're good. We need to be reminded of this over and over again because we have a tendency to uh, get a distorted picture of God. We so easily think that God is against us rather than for us. And God wants us to know, no, we're, we're his inheritance. And not only are we his inheritance, but we've obtained an inheritance in him. Now, remember, most people that have lived in history and most people in the world today don't live like we live. Most people are poor. Most people don't have the, the comfortable life experience that we have. Most people don't have the, um, the, the bountiful provision that we have. And of course, it, you know, to some degree, it's relative because we're, we're so uh, materially prosperous, sometimes we, we don't appreciate this. But, you know, think of the person who has nothing. I remember some years ago traveling to Central America and going uh, to El Salvador, and I remember going into a, a village and seeing all of these school kids making their way to school, and they were coming from their homes, and their homes 
were literally cardboard shacks. And I just looked at it and thought, that's, that's amazing. Now, of course, for a person in a situation like that, when you start talking about an inheritance and all that, that just sounds unbelievable that such a thing could be true. But the fact of the matter is, regardless of our material position, we're, we're all paupers in, in the one sense. And this is meant to show us the wealth and the riches and all that, that we have now inherited in Christ. So we have this inheritance. We've inherited and will inherit, but God has inherited in us as well. And Paul says that we have been predestined according to his purpose. And this is just again to remind us that all that God has promised to do, he's going to do it. God is not a person to not follow through with his promise. When he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. It's as good as done. When God says he's going to do something, it's as good as done. When it, when it says that we've been predestined, that means it's been predetermined that this is going to happen, and it can't be otherwise. So you have obtained an inheritance in Christ, and it, that's the reality. It can't be altered. It's like it's already done and it's according to his purpose. And just again, remember, we talked about how life is not purposeless. Life is not random. Your life is not without a purpose. There's a very specific purpose for your life. God created you with a very specific purpose. It's ultimately to obtain an inheritance through Christ and to be his inheritance. But there are many things that are included in that as we walk through life here. But now Paul, and I want to emphasize this as we wind things down today. Paul, as I pointed out previously, but I want to come back to it. One of the things that Paul keeps doing in this portion of scripture here is, is as I said previously, he keeps reminding us of God's absolute sovereignty is the word that we use. God's absolute sovereignty over everything. And this is an important thing for us to get into our understanding that God really is in complete charge of everything. And he's done everything, as Paul says here, after the counsel of his own will. And, and once again, if, we, if the practical benefit of getting a grip on that is, again, to just understand that it can't fail with God. I think sometimes, even though we would not necessarily articulate it, we wouldn't believe it, or at least say it out loud, sometimes we, we kind of live life like, in the end, God might just go down. You know, he might just be overthrown. We don't know. We don't know how it's going to work out sometimes. We, again, we're not consciously thinking that way, but subconsciously we kind of must be because we're behaving like that. But what Paul wants us to know is that everything is all after the counsel of God's will. He didn't consult anybody on any of this stuff. All, all of it is rooted in who he is. And that makes it absolutely certain and absolutely secure. You see, one of our problems today is that we have, our thoughts of God are too small. 
we suffer from these, these thoughts of God that are too small. As J.I. Packer put it, he said, we are modern people, and modern people, though they cherish great thoughts of themselves, have, as a rule, small thoughts of God. And it's true. And it is true, as people have pointed out, that in our current generation, we have a, we've had a tendency to uh, become very man-centered in our perspective on things as the church. Everything seems to revolve around man, and, and God has, in a sense, been eclipsed within his own church where, where man has, has become more the central figure. But the biblical picture is always God is at the center. At the end of the day, it's about God. And so Paul is reminding us of that when he speaks here of him predestining according to his purpose after the counsel of his will. And here's two things that you need to understand uh, in regard to that. Number one is that God, in planning things after the counsel of his will, God was not motivated by anything outside of himself. Now think about this. God was not motivated by anything outside of himself. Therefore, things outside of himself do not, uh, they're, they're not a factor in him accomplishing his purpose. Now, I bring that up because sometimes we hear it said that God foreknowing who would accept Christ then chose them for salvation. Now, we're trying to figure things out always. How does this all work? But there comes a point where what Paul is telling us is there comes a point where we have to stop trying to figure things out and just simply recognize, you know, God is beyond my figuring out. And rather than come up with some explanation that kind of puts man back into the picture, I need to just let the scripture say what it says. God was not motivated by anything outside of himself. When he chose to save us, it wasn't because of anything outside of himself. It was entirely his decision with no outside influence, not, no other uh, motivating factor. So again, now take that and think about it. Since that's the case, nothing influenced him in his decision. His decision is unalterable. Nothing influenced him to make the decision. Nothing's going to influence him to not to reverse the decision. It's a, in other words, it's done. It's accomplished. Nor did God consult with anyone regarding his plan of salvation. There was no meeting where God gathered together the angels and said, now, what do you think we should do? God didn't do that. This was all after the counsel of his will, and Paul expresses it like this in Romans. He says, oh, the depth both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Listen, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. That's the reality. God's judgments are unsearchable. His ways are past finding out. He's greater than our minds could ever, ever, ever begin to conceive. As great as you can conceive of God being, he's much greater than that. How unsearchable are his judgments, his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? 
Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid him? Listen, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. And here's the point that I want to drive home with this. Listen, God is, it's all taken care of. Everything's predetermined according to the counsel of his will. It, it, nothing, nothing's going to be altered. He, he cannot possibly be overthrown. It's, it's not even anything we should ever think of. And what does this practically bring to us? It should bring to us complete confidence that what God has promised to do, it's as good as already done. We sometimes, like I said, it's almost like we imagine God uh, being in danger. Boy, haven't you noticed the, the forces that have arisen against God these days? We talk about these formidable forces, governments and the new atheist and all, and you know, we, we get a little bit worried for God. Wow. I don't know. You think God's going to make it? It's a lot against him these days. After all, you know, you just look around and it's like everybody's against God and nobody believes in him anymore. And uh, you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter one bit. It doesn't change anything. What is God's attitude? Well, we already know what his attitude is. We're told in the second Psalm. The nations raged. The people imagined a vain thing. The rulers of the earth consulted together. They came together uh, and counseled against the Lord and against his Christ, saying, let us break their bonds asunder. Let us permanently cast God's restraint off of us. And he that sits in heaven does what? He laughs. He laughs. You see, this is your God. This is our God. So rather than being swayed and rather than being depressed and, um, and you know, I'm preaching to myself too, because look, I, I do the same thing. I see the way things are. I, I was reading an article on, uh, in one of the British papers yesterday. And, um, you know, it's, it's just commonplace today for uh, evangelical Christians to get blamed for everything. And that's what was happening in this article. And I just thought, you know, wow, it's amazing how, you know, uh, Bible-believing Christians are, are being sort of made the scapegoat for all kinds of social ills all around the world today. And, you know, you read stuff like that, and it, it can be frustrating. And it can be concerning. But yet, you have to come back and get the right perspective. You have to get right back to what the Bible says. He that sits in heaven laughs. This doesn't change anything. It's all going to go down exactly like God said it would because everything has been predetermined, predestined according to his purpose after the counsel of his will. That is intended to bring us rest and we need to see God as much bigger than we often see him as. Our God is too small. And as Luther said to Erasmus, he said, your thoughts of God are too human. And that's what we do. We reduce God to our own level. And we see a problem and we think, oh, that's, oh, that's such a problem. Because we're thinking of 
what it is to us. Oh, yes, it's a problem to me, but it's not a problem to God. And so, in closing, remember this. God, according to his will, chose us in Christ to obtain an eternal inheritance. And we see that we have become heirs with Christ of all things. We're going to obtain to uh, the glory of Christ. God himself is our ultimate inheritance, but yet also God, according to his will, chose us in Christ to be his eternal inheritance. That's how valuable you are to God. He chose you. You're his inheritance. He thinks of you like you would think of him. He thinks of us that he got a great deal somehow. He thinks that. And that's okay. If he wants to think that, we, we'll just let him, right? <laughs> okay, God. You said it. You said we're a great deal. Okay, we'll just take it, for, take it at face value. But here's the question in closing. The question is, because all of these things, notice, they're connected to the phrase we began with, in Christ. The quest, so the question is this, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Remember what I said? There's only two categories. There's only two possibilities. You're either in Adam, and in Adam, you're in sin, you're under the curse, and there's death, and separation. Or you're in Christ. Every one of us, of course, have been in Adam. Some are still there today. The vast majority of the people on the planet are still there today. But some have come out, transitioned out from Adam and come now into Christ. So have you done that? Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Someone might say, well, I'm just not sure whether or not God has chosen me. You're talking about being chosen. I, I don't know. I don't know if God chose me. Well, listen. Have you chosen him? Have you chosen him? Because you will find that if you choose him, you will find that, yes, indeed, he chose you. It's like, I think it was Spurgeon who said it. As you're walking into the gate of heaven over the arch there, it reads, whosoever will, let him come. And you walk through and you turn around and you look at it on the other side and it says, chosen from before the foundation of the world. So you see, there's no contradiction. There's no conflict. You want to be chosen? Choose. Choose Christ. And you'll find that God has indeed chosen you to obtain an inheritance. And he's chosen you to be his inheritance. Lord, we thank you that these things are true. And Lord, we are in desperate need of the Holy Spirit's assistance to grasp to some degree the, the greatness of these wonderful spiritual realities. So help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to just get a little glimpse, a little taste of what it means that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, of what it means to 
partake in the glory of Christ, of what it means, Lord, to have you as our inheritance. And Lord, I pray for anyone with us today that's, that's not in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, let them know that it's a simple transition. It's a transition that takes place by believing, by putting their faith in Christ. And while we're praying today, if you're here and you're, you're not sure you're in Christ, but you want to be, you, want, you, you don't know if you're chosen, but you'd like to be, then you have a chance today, right now, to choose. And you'll find out that you have been chosen. If you'd like to choose Christ today, just slip up your hand where you're at. And we'll pray for you. Anyone at all. If you don't have the confidence, God bless you. You can put your hands down once you've raised them. If you're, if you're, just, if you're just even wondering, like, you know, I, I don't know if I am. Just get rid of that today by just saying, I'm, I'm going to make sure uh, today I'm choosing you, Jesus. Lord, for those that raise their hand, we pray that you would meet them right where they're at, that they would know today that you chose them before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. Amen.